Sunsets from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Yesterday, I couldn't finish what I was saying. But I'll, I'll say what I was trying to say yesterday to get to this point. When we spoke about the timelessness of God, we we're speaking of God's apartness. And I said he's the self-existent selfhood. Um, no man is self-existent. We need chairs to sit. God does not need a chair to be seated. In fact, the throne of God is not for God sitting. The Bible says, when you, in fact, people have had visions of heaven and when they went, God was not on the chair. That throne is where his glory comes from. It's the center of his administration, where the Bible says there are gushings of rivers. According to Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it says that that throne of the Lord God and the Lamb, out of which proceeded a river, clear as crystal. So that throne is the center of life. So God does not need a chair to be seated. That's why his name also does not define who he is. And I said to you yesterday, God does not need oxygen to breathe. He breathes himself. And God has no house. And the strange thing is that he designed a people who will be his habitation. He says, I sit on the throne. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? He said, but the man who is broken and a contrite spirit, him shall I make my abode with. And I said to you that God dwells in the spirit. So when you go to Zechariah chapter 12, you understand why God stays in us. Because the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 1, that God has created the foundations of the earth and formed the heavens and even fashioned the spirit of a man. So God formed the spirit of a man so that the spirit of a man is consummately connected to the Holy Ghost. So that that environment becomes conducive for God to dwell. So God does not stay in heaven. We said that yesterday. Because where was he staying when he made heaven and earth? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. So where he was when he made the heavens and the earth. And the painful part about that, that doctrine is that the Bible says the heavens and the earth shall pass away. Why? If God is there, it can't pass away. So I said yesterday to you that everlasting means it was created but will not end technically. But eternal means there is no beginning nor ending. That's the difference. Technically, everlasting means it has a start but has no ending. But eternal means no start, no ending. Job chapter 36, the verse 26 says, he says, God is great and we knew him not. He says, for the days or the number of his years, we cannot search it out. So nobody can put carbon-14 dating on God. God is beyond that. God is beyond carbon-14 dating. You can't calculate his years. Now to say God has a name means someone named him. If someone named God, then someone begat God. Are we together? So if you understand the truism of who God actually is, it positions you in a place where the more you hear about God, the more faith comes alive the more faith comes alive. You will never be afraid if you know who you are, who is behind you, and who, who created you. In his image and likeness, if you knew all those things, it changes a whole lot of things you're stressing yourself about. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are we together, please? Now, you also understand from the scriptures that 
I said to you yesterday, Jesus said in John chapter 19 verse 30 that it is finished and it was in perfect tense. That means the finished work cannot be finished further. Finished once and for all. It's perfect. Then in Revelations chapter 22, the verse number 11, the Lord said, it is done. Revelations 21, no, I think 22. He says, it is done. It is done. And when God was saying it is done, he was making reference to the new Jerusalem. Actually, Revelation 21. Okay, yeah, 21. He says, when he was making reference to this statement, he was making reference to the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is yet to appear, but God said, it is already done. It is done. Hallelujah. Then he makes a very interesting statement again. He says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. Revelation chapter 1, the verse 8. Jesus Christ said it. Revelation 1, verse 8. He says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. Then verse 11 says, the first and the last. So he repeats it again, Alpha and Omega, first and last. Now these three appellations of God aren't the same. Number one, I'm, I'm still on the eternalness of God. Number one, he's the Alpha and Omega, and those are alphabets. Aleph and Tav, alphabets. Then he's also the beginning and the ending, and the first and the last. So as the Alpha and Omega from the eternal's perspective, he's saying that I am the Alpha and Omega in what I say. But I'm the first and last as who I am. And I'm the beginning and ending as what I do. So it is what he does that makes him beginning and ending. It is who he is that makes him first and last. And it is what he says that makes him alpha and omega. That means Jesus has the final say in your life. No doctor has the final say in your life. No doctor has. No doctor has. Jesus has the final say. That means no beginning begins without him. Because if he didn't begin with Christ, it was a false start. <laughs> Hallelujah. And as the first and last means, he was the first to ever show up. He was the first manifestation of anything that ever looked like God creating. So he says, was one by him. One brought up before him. In Proverbs chapter 8, I was daily his delight. I was ever before his face. So in the beginning was the word. But in the text that was written, there is no definite article V. So actually reads literally, in beginning the word. So God began as the word. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. I want you to know a God you serve. He dwells in a realm. Oh. And yesterday, I didn't go to this point, but let me say it again. In his eternal, eternalness, God does not improve knowledge. His omniscience is not an improvement of what he knows. So it means what God knows today about the world, he knew before the world started. So God does not say something and say, oh, sorry. I got to change my words. That's why when Jesus came, he never recalled words, neither did he retrace steps. Jesus never said, sorry, oh, I'm bitter, sorry for saying those words. No, because he's the Alpha and Omega. What he was saying was accurate. He didn't need to say sorry for those words. Oh, I made a mistake in going to this house. No, 
He must needs go through Samaria. Accuracy in everywhere he went. Because he predates time. So in his, in his omniscience, he doesn't have to modify knowledge. But at the same time, there's something we call the, the I, I, I spoke about the preeminence of God. Bible says in all things that he might have, Colossians 1.18, he might have preeminence. Now, preeminence is a very interesting word. He must have the first place. The picture that preeminence depicts is, you see this pulpit on stage. If I come down and lie on the floor, you will not see me. Though I'm here, you will not see me. What that means is that I have given preeminence to the stage, sir. That means when you look towards the stage, as long as I lie flat on the floor, all you see is the stage. So what scripture is trying to tell you is that in everything you ever succeed in, when anyone casts a glance at you, they shouldn't see you. You should be on the floor. They must see Jesus. Preeminence. He must have preeminence. First place. Jesus can never be second. C.S. Lewis said, first things must be first so that second things are not suppressed. God is always first. He is first with your job. He is first with your marriage. He is first with your business. If God comes second, you have, you have instigated a cascading effect. It's just going to crumple down. He is first because he predates your birth. By this engineering also of his timelessness, prophecy can work. Now, Bible says sometimes I bless my heart yesterday. Now, prophecy is not telling your name, your country. No, that's not it. Or I see you in America and you are happy. I, Ezekiel 14 says something. He says, because thou hast idols in your heart, I by the prophets will deceive you. So if a marriage changes your emotions, it's an idol. Anything that has the power to regulate your affection is an idol. If when you get money, you're excited, idol. <laughs> uh, idol. When you have a breakup, someone is not proposing to you. It's been six years since you ever, someone said you look beautiful and it's, it's bothering you. It's an idol. It's an idol. It's an idol. And those idols, Bible says, God by the prophets will deceive you if you come to them. So every time you are like, I need to travel, I need a visa, I need a good job. God will use the prophets. Sometimes they are not even aware to deceive you. And you are like, I've received prophecy. No, it's, it's, it's God fighting you. That that's not what I created you for. Because, Olori also mentioned it. Prophecy is the declaration of what is written. It's not the concoction of what you feel like doing. So when a prophet declares something to you, Lamentations 3.37, he said, Who is he that declareth a thing for it to come to pass when God has not commanded it? The word command means God has not sanctioned, God has not agreed, God has not written it. That's why the Israelites stoned prophets when they prophesied wrongly. Because they were the only means by which they heard God. But in our day, everyone has the Holy Ghost. We are not led by any prophet. We are led by the Spirit. A prophet expounds at the junction of confusion. 
That's why many times a prophet will say something to you and your head is just going like, yes, yes, yes. Because he's already tested witness in your spirit that what he's telling you, I've already told you. Amen. Are we together? <laughs> so it's because of the timelessness of God that prophecy can exist. So we prophesy from the prescience of God, the foreknowledge of God, because God already knows. He gives us details to communicate to people. And as a prophet, I always tell people, I can prophesy your desires and I can also prophesy what is written. Sometimes what is written, you don't agree, but you find out that situation will get you to that exact junction you didn't want to agree to. Because that's what was written, not what you wanted. It is by the eternalness of God, years can be restored. Because God is not affected by time, he can step out of it and use it to rectify problems in your life. So it's because he's eternal, you can be restored. Because he's eternal, restoration can occur. Praise the Lord. I'm excited about the timelessness of God. But today I want to show you something that's a blessing. I told you yesterday that God breathed spirit. Now in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 4, he says, For as much as the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the sprinkling of Hypha sanctifies unto the purification of the clean, he said, how much more the, by his own blood? He, he, he offered it through the, how much more his blood, which he offered through the eternal spirit. Bring us to the place, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Now, bring us to the place where we receive the eternalness of what God is doing. He said, how much more, how he offered his blood through the eternal spirit. Now, forgive me if I do the literal from time to time, okay? I think, um, I told you yesterday, the Quran was written in Arabic, read in Arabic. Have you ever gone to a Quran uh, mosque before? No matter how you are educated from America, even in America, they read the Quran in Arabic. So you don't get a lot of distortion in the communication. But in the English, you know, the Old Covenant Hebrew, Gospels, Aramaic, then Greek. So because of that, sometimes the tenses, for instance, I told you yesterday, in the Hebrew, there's no future tense. It's past and present. So when you read the Hebrew Bible, you read the promises as if it's already happened. You're not reading for God to do. He has already done. Hmm. Amen. Oh, you are struggling. Jesus had not yet died, but Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes, you are healed. You are not going to be, you are. And he's not yet dead. So that Matthew 8 says, when he healed somebody, it might be fulfilled, which was said, by his stripes, you are healed. So Jesus was healing by a technology that had already been enacted before he ever took the first lash. So next time you read the Bible and say, God will, you have entered hope. I'm believing God, you have entered hope. It's not coming. Because every morning you wake up, I'm believing. So every morning you push it to tomorrow. It is never coming. Faith is now. And Kairos is the isness of time. Kairos is the isness of time. So whatever will be, Kairos says it is. It's already settled in heaven. We are just expressing what has already occurred. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Are we together here? So what I'm bringing your mind to is this, that in the eternalness of God, there's something God also does. And I'm just, I'm just drawing the lines, lines that will lead us to what I want to show you in regards to this last generation. This eternalness of God brings us to the place where 
Restitution is, able, is possible. Restoration is possible because it stands out of time. And like I said to you yesterday, that God demarcated time for a purpose. For whatever we are, we should not forget that we were created for him. Revelations 4, 11. All things were made for him and for his pleasure. Even Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that there is something man did. He gave himself over to vile affections. So God restrained. The restraint that stopped man from using his mind wrongly. God relaxed it so that their minds were given over to repobacy. What that means is that your mind has a purpose to retain the knowledge of God. But they did not retain God in their thinking, so they entered error. The way you retain God in your thinking is as you are doing anything, God is the matter at hand. Not your pain, not your pleasure, God. That's retaining God in your thoughts. So your mind was created to keep in memory. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 2, that if these things have taught you are not kept in memory, then you will not be saved. So salvation that is progressive and continuous is the capacity to retain what you heard. So if you heard all the things we said in this conference and you don't retain it, your mind will be given over to uselessness. Half of us sitting here, if you are struggling to hear me, it's because your mind is given to something else. Yes, so it's, it's just not going to flow. But there are rivers that have been flowing since. Oh yes, influences. Praise God. Please, are you here with me? Now, let me pray and see if we can go a little further. The Bible now brings us to a place in the scriptures where we now understand that in the eastness of time, God now decided that there is a plan I have for Israel. And I told you yesterday that time was a construct by God. God created times and seasons. And I said to you, when God, but no, Jesus Christ came to the pool of Bethesda, he saw a man. And Bible says, he asked him, do you want to be healed? The reason for that question was because he said to them, and actually, actually the scripture give reference, that every season an angel stirs the water. Now the Hebrews have seven sacred seasons called the Muadim. You know, Yom Kippur, Atonement, all those festivals. They were, and I told you yesterday, if you check through the actions of Jesus, especially in the book of John, you will see that every time Jesus was doing a miracle or a healing was either Sabbath or a feast. Something was happening that opened the portals of heaven for God to agree with earth. So conferences are also spiritual seasons in the new covenant. So not all days are the same. <laughs> so what is happening now is this, that Jesus Christ has come at a season. So he asked the man, do you really want to be healed? And the reason he asked that question is because if you multiply seven seasons times 38 years, he had too many opportunities for that excuse. He had 256 plus opportunities to have entered the water. So he said, do you really? Other versions put it in modern English. Do you really want to be healed? Because you have seven seasons per year. That means that season Jesus showed up in John 5. It was a feast. He was replacing an angel's work. But after replacing the angel's work, he healed only one man. Because what he wanted to do was, if I heal one, by seeing these miracles, all of you should join. But you see, when men are blocked, they can't even see salvation has come. 
They can't even see salvation has come. <laughs> no wonder Matthew chapter 13, the verse 15 says, Oh, their hearts are grossed, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes are blinded so they cannot see. He said, lest at any time. That means that time is only a product of revelation. The day you come to revelation, any time is the time. So God does not need to wait for 2024 to do what he has to do. That process of time, I told you yesterday, is the purification of your soul so that in the day you arrive at your blessing, Ishmael is not with you. Because if the flesh arrives in the promise, there will be a fight. <laughs> Are we together? Praise God. So God now wants to tell Abraham something. And he says something in Genesis 15. The Lord tells Abraham, begin to count the stars. Because he's giving covenant, he doesn't believe. So he tells him, I'm going to make you great. I'll multiply you. Genesis 15, blesses him again. But as he's telling him, Abraham is still, you know, Eliezer is in my house. Choose that guy. And he says, no, it's going to be you, by you and through you. He said, okay, how is this going to be? Now, Abraham was still bothered. And God, according to Genesis 15, 4, 5, 6, took him abroad. That's what King James says, took him abroad. He took him forth abroad. Where? The Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible does not say he took him outside the tent because from verse 1, there's no record Abraham is inside anywhere. Genesis 15, 1 does not say Abraham was in his room and God took him out. There's no record he was in anything. So where God was taking him was outside time, not outside the room. Because it is outside time he was able to see 400 years play before his eyes. That means anytime God gives you a vision or dream, you are not in time. You are outside time, seeing life play out. Anytime you have a revelation, a trance, a vision, you are not in time. You are outside time, seeing things play before you. So every time a vision comes, you are interfacing with the timeless God. Pratombele, fastalaya. And Ephesians 1 says, I told you yesterday, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto himself. Oh, according to the good pleasure of his will. So what he was trying to tell us was that from the beginning of time, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, it was a call, sir, to the same spot Jesus stands. Wherefore, verse 6, he has made us accepted in the beloved. So there was one only begotten son, but we entered the corporate beloved, where we are all now, the many begottens. That's why Colossians says he's the first begotten. So that there's the second, there's the third, there's the fourth, they are the fifth. He said, he that sanctifies, Hebrews chapter 2, and they that are sanctified are all one. Wherefore, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. So what Jesus has, we have. Same. The same spirit. He said, if the same spirit 
that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Same. No difference. No difference. So one day asked Jesus, if the thing you said we also have, and you said the works you did will do, sir, and even greater, why are we struggling? He says, your head. That's your mind. That's your soul. Is the reason why things are not happening. He said, how do you think I learned obedience? God who commands was being commanded by a mortal woman. So that the Bible even gives us the definition. He said he went to a city according to the way he was brought up. So Jesus had home training for Mary. And that home training was the reason why in John chapter 2, he needed permission from a woman. And he repeated in a certain sarcasm, if need be, to his own mother. The woman said, go and tell him that the wine is finished. Then she gets to him and says, Son, the wine is finished. Do something. Then Jesus looks at the mom and says, My time is not yet. He said, My time is not yet. Yet, it looks as if it's confusing. How do you say your time is not yet, yet you turn water to wine? Because actually, that was what Mary was telling her consistently. Consistently. Because according to even the surah, in, 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 the, in the Quran, Surah Miriam, he says that Jesus at age 12 had formed clay and out of it came a bed. So Mary told him, it's not time. There's a learning you have to have so that you have all power for 30 years. But until it is time, you cannot manifest your glory. Keep it down. That's why the Bible says he learned obedience through the many things. That suffering is not pains because the prior verse in Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, in the days, not the day, Days that means his entire existence on earth, he prayed the prayer that not his will but the will of the Father will be done. So, what he was suffering, literal King James says, Allow. So, suffer not a wish to live, it means allow not a wish to live. So, Jesus learned many things through the many things he allowed. So, he allowed Mary to rebuke him. He allowed Mary to say, sit down. He allowed Mary to say, it's time to eat a bar. It's time to sleep at this time. And Jesus was learning. He allowed Joseph to say, take the hammer and strike it at this place. He allowed. He allowed. So he can learn obedience. Why? He knew he was in a vessel that only responds to training. The flesh can never do anything good for you if it's untrained. And the only way the flesh can be trained is to force it under subjection. Because what the flesh likes is to have its way. So if it's able to come under subjection, you see this demonic thing that Satan is making us fight authority is the way the flesh enters recklessness. We can't be bastards in our generation. Subjected. 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 So it brings me to the last generation. Wherefore, Seeing that we are surrounded. So as soon as you see Hebrews 12, 1, and it says wherefore, he's coming from somewhere. Because you don't start a sentence with wherefore. It's a continuous story. Seeing that we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin, I'll show you today, which doth easily beset us. So when he said the sin, definite, he's not saying a sin. He said the sin. So it's not adultery. It's not insult. It's not subjective. It's an objective sin. That means it, it is carried by every human being. But it says it does easily be said to me, sometimes you don't even know you are in that sin. 
So it's not talking of a sin you are aware of. It doth easily beset. Let us run with patience. The race set before us. So it is a kind of relay race, like Pastor Eva says. But in a relay, the first running is done by one of the fastest runners. But the second and third pace it according to the pace that was given. But the fastest runner is put at the end so that he can catch up, he can rectify, he can enforce and correct any error that was done. So the last runner has the capacity to rectify delay. So the blessing we have for which we see the errors of the fathers is the power for correction. Not to their face, but in our journey. Of what use are you correcting a father who is about to end this race? Or has even passed the baton? You know, it's to correct in our journey. Say, say. It's not to the, you don't correct fathers in their face, don't correct fathers on the pulpit. No, you correct our generation. Because we, we had the privilege of softwares. You know, when Paul was speaking, he was intelligent, so he could quote as the scripture said. The whole book of Hebrews was written by Paul. But he said to the Hebrews, that's the only book that had no introduction of author. Because he knew the Jews had a problem with him. He was first instigator. And the one who went to petition for letter to kill these Christians, now he's preaching to them. So he had to represent himself as an unknown entity because they had already insulted him in Corinth and in Galatia that his writings are weighty, but his appearance is rude. He said, we, we, because he was a short man. Yes, yeah, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 32. He said, in the city of the Damascenes, the governor and the Aretas was desirous to apprehend me. And I was let down through the window in a basket. So he entered the picnic basket and was able to escape. That's what he said. A man fit into a basket. Sir, and they covered him so they can't see who is in the basket. That's the man who fits in the suitcase. That means, yeah. Short man. So he said, he said his writings are weighty, but his appearance is contemptible. We can't relate to his appearance. He's too. Ah, this is man the poor they are talking about. <laughs> So when he was writing the Hebrews, he's quoting a lot of things. As it is written, as it is written, as it is written. Because he's talking to a people who must understand that context. So when the Bible says, it is impossible for them who have tasted of the good of the Lord and have been enlightened of the powers of the age to come. He was not talking of a Christian. Number two, even if he was talking of the Christian, he said impossible for them, not impossible for God. It's not impossible for God. It's impossible for us. Not because God is not willing. Our conscience will strain us backwards. That you've killed too much. God can use you. That you are 60. You've wasted all your years. He said, now you come to preach. Your conscience. He said, it's impossible for you. Not God. Because like I said yesterday, if God is eternal, then whatever he does is eternal. So if the blood of bulls and goats can save you for a year, is it the blood of Jesus that cannot save you eternally? <laughs> I know I shake a table. Now go and read the Bible. Goats, cow, can make you clean for a year, sir. Then a human being's blood who has been good in life can keep you for about five or ten years. How much more the blood of God? No wonder he had double hands. He said, God has put you in a hand. And no one can pluck you out. And my father that gave you me has you also in his hand. So nobody can. That's where John 10.30 came in. I and my father are one. 
So we are double held by God. There I even say, if frustration and demons make you curse God, you will appear in heaven. How do you think foolish virgins will appear? They didn't plan to show up, but they got there. I make, you'll be shocked, like, ah, I'm here. Hey, don't even, I know you're getting religious. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, there was a man I have a problem with, sir, but God named him among the elders. Time will fill me to talk of Samson. Samson. And he's part of the elders. For this reason, the elders obtained a good report. He is in a list of holy men. Do you hear the story of Samson in Judges 13? He slept with a prostitute, woke up, the Holy Ghost came on him. Samson. He didn't do fasting and prayer. The Holy Ghost was just finding this guy. Anyhow. To the extent that after even sinning, he said, Lord, restore unto me. But you see, like I said again, conscience killed him. God caused his hair to grow back. His strength came back. His eyes were out. But there was a problem at the day he prayed his prayer. Let me die with my enemies. If he didn't add that clause, his enemies would have died and he would have been an old judge who was just blind. But the conscience said, I'm not fit for this assignment. Your conscience is so tender. So the blood of Jesus has handled your sin. But read the old covenant. It was sprinkled once on the mercy seat, but seven times on the man's leg. Because God doesn't have a problem when it's sprinkled once. But we have a conscience issue. So God says, sprinkle it on your leg seven times so that you can believe you are truly forgiven. Because you struggle with that. Some of you, God says, I forgive you. are like, God, are you sure? They bounce me at the office. Are you sure? I lost my job. Are you sure? I think you are paying back. So some of you, as soon as some of you sin, you are waiting for evil. Like, ah, this is, I know. It's not like that. <laughs> so let me talk quickly about the last generation. This is the secret. He said, let us lay aside. Looking away unto Jesus. That's what the literal Hebrew says. Looking away. Why did he say away? Because the Jews had a problem. Who do men say I am? Some say you are Elias. Some say you are John the Baptist. So they never saw Jesus. So the whole Hebrews 11, through faith, some subdued nations, some silent the mouth of lions, all those things, they were mentioned. Time will fail me to mention Gideon and Jephthah, Samson, Barak. He was Samuel, David. They had list of people. Thank you, sir. He had a list of people. But the whole point of that list was that he said these were inspirers and witnesses of faith. But Jesus is the author. He is not in the category of Elijah. He offered faith. These lived faith. Two different people. So he said looking away from the inspirers and those who have lived by faith. He said we fasting our gaze onto the author and the finisher of the faith. We have a fast in our gaze. There's coming a generation that is unique. I want to just quickly show you how that generation looks like. Yes. Ephesians 1:4 tells us what God planned from the beginning. That we will be before him in love. That's all. That's before Satan came. Satan saw this plan according to Psalm 82. God dwells in the congregation of the mighty. So he saw a congregation that were coming. 
That's why in his prayer in Isaiah 14, he said, I was sent into the congregation of the gods. He saw what God said in Psalm 82. So Isaiah 14 verse 12, we see the declarations of Lucifer. He has everything to do who, as who you are as a Christian. He said, I was sent into the congregation of the gods. I will sit on the throne of God. And we were the ones who said, to him that overcometh, I will make him to sit with me. So Lucifer saw that there are people coming who will sit with God, who will be God's parliamentarians. That name, Satan Lucifer, is the God of this world, was Adam's original title. He stole that mandate, sir, because God made Adam as his owner of the earth, the God of this world, was supposed to be Adam. But Lucifer stole it. So see what he said. He said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven, rapture. I will get my throne above the stars where God is. I will sit among, not on top, among. So upon the, the, the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north where God stays. Next, next, 14. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the Messiah. And God said, I'm going to make men who are like me. So already he had seen a document. Ay, 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 ay. Bible says he's one of the anointed cherubs that covereth. They were in charge of the throne of God, sir. So you see, God does th things in triads. God created the heavens and the earth. And the heavens is space, matter, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, and space, the earth is matter. And beginning is time. So there's, you know, months, days, years. Then the triad of space is, you know, solid gas. You know, uh, what do you call it? Length, breadth, height. Then you also have the triad of matter, which is earth, you know, um, solid gas, liquid. And God himself is Father, Son, Spirit. So even his angels were three. That's why Satan took one third. So two thirds was for Michael and Gabriel. So Lucifer was the third one. So actually on the Ark of the Covenant, it was supposed to be three angels, not two. Because he took one third and brought them. <laughs> Are you here? So what was happening in that heavens was Satan saw a document and came to steal it. Then God had to, because num number two, God is wisdom. And God has executive powers. You see, in Nigeria, Ghana, since COVID, most of our presidents have enacted something called executive instruments. Now, by executive instruments, according to the legal balance, you are able, it's different from legislative instruments. Legislative is interpretations. But executive instrument is the means by which you are able to call by veto without a, a conference of parliament or senate. So you can say there's a lockdown. Nobody goes after six curfew. So that you don't need a quorum. You can call it under emergency circumstances. But God has an eternal executive instrument. Because he is God. He can say it at any time. So when Adam put, God, uh, Adam put God in a fix, God is wisdom. So he concocted an instrument by which remedy will come to man. But the original intention was never to dominate the earth. How do you dominate fish? Even under the four, we don't have problems with fish. We cook it. <laughs> and you don't need to be a believer to dominate fish. Because it's already... So God was not saying go and dominate fish by fishing. No. There was something on the earth that man had to put in control. Revelation 12 said, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for he has been cast down into their midst. But Adam was not aware of this. And God said, make sure you don't eat a certain tree. Hmm. Because God was always in foreknowledge. But even in the foreknowledge of God, God needs your will to be willing for his will 
to be done. So without willingness, the will of God can never be done. So God just gives counsel. Because if God forced you to love him, then there's no point for free will. So in free will, there are choices. So that when you choose God, like she said yesterday, it's from desire. Because I can't be forced to love God and I'm desiring something else. So God said, listen, I want to tell you something. The thing that will cause you to fall, he's around. But there's an instrument on this tree. Because the snake didn't come and meet. Because the serpent was wiser than other creatures. But he was also called a cattle. And God knew where the cattle would be met. So he said, there's a tree. The cattle likes coming there. And Lucifer will be talking through him. Because Satan will never talk through a strange voice. He will talk to a voice you are used to. Because if it was a strange voice, the woman would have said, how is a snake talking? What weirdness? Then her spirit has possessed it. That means it was a constant conversation, sir. And it was not the first time. She might have talked to other snakes at different places. But he said, this tree, there's a snake there. And because it's at the location of the problem, don't get there. And that's where God now had to give man by, you know, the foreknowledge of himself that there's something you have to dominate. Now, quickly follow me. Quickly follow me. So, all that God had intended us to be was to come into fellowship with him. To be like him. To spend time with him. In the cool of the day, sir. And all our days was just for God. And that's why if you read Genesis chapter 4, you can easily be deceived. There's a generation that came. God never mentioned when... Um, how long they lived. King's generation. Genesis 4. Their years were never mentioned. They gave birth. Invented things. We've even preached about inventions with them. But that was not the generation of God. Otherwise you'd have seen them in the book of Luke. God didn't recognize King's generation. Though they invented things. What am I trying to tell you? Under the fall, it will seem as if the world is progressing with technology. But that is not our calling. I'm not saying let's not invent. We must reinvent reinventions. God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So he came to Genesis chapter 5. Adam has repented. He said, all their names shall be called Adam. Then he says, and Adam, when he was 130 years, begat Seth. And he lived 800 years and begat other sons and daughters. And all the life of Adam was 930 years. So you can see, lived, begat, and lived. That's all. Look what they did. The book of Enoch was written and Jude quoted it in the book of Jude chapter 1. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, saw the Lord. He saw rapture. Yet, and Enoch, when he was 65, begat Methuselah. And after he begat Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And he begat other sons and daughters. And all the life that Enoch lived was 365 years. And he died. They didn't mention he was a prophet. They didn't, in fact, if you check the history of Enoch, Enoch was even a king at the time. Of the earth, but none of that was recognized by God. Your car does not mean anything to God. I, your house is nice, He gave it to you, but it does not mean anything to God. If nothing about that house connects to kingdom, it will not appear on your database. It will show it's a waste <laughs> because anything that is not eternally useful is eternally useless. <laughs> eternally useless. This is the secret you want to know. 
when Enoch came on the scene, Adam had lived a certain number of years. Now, if you calculate their years, Adam begat set at 130. Set when he was 105. So I want you to follow me. Bible says after he begat set, he lived another 800 years. Please follow me quickly so I show you something. He lived another what, 800 years. And in 800 years, he begat other sons and daughters and died at 930. So as soon as he begat set at 130, set now appeared on the scene and lived another 105 years. So deduct 105 from 800. So you deduct, uh, when you deduct 105, if you have a phone, just do it. Let's follow like that. 105 from 800. All right. Then when Seth was 105, begat Enos. Enos now lived 90 years. And he also begat a son called Canaan. And Canaan, when he was also, so you deduct 90 from whatever you got. Okay. Then after deducting, you have Canaan who now lived for 75 years. I read it. Okay, 70 years. So deduct 70 and begat Mahalel. All right. Then after deducting this, Mahalel begat a man called Jared. And Jared lived 65 years and also begat a son called Enoch. Please deduct 65 from what you had. What do you have? Please, what do you have? For what? 470. Then Jared now lived 162, or 162, and begat Enoch. How many years do you get now? Please, quickly. How many? Three what? 308. Then when? No, so listen to what's happening. We are deducting the, the years from the time he begat set. The out of 800. Is it out of 800? Good. So now, when Jared gives birth to Enoch, Enoch now lives to 65. And begat his son. What's the name of? Um, and how many years you have now? What? Two, four, three. So literally, Adam and Enoch live two hundred and forty-three years before Adam died. And from the beginning, there was a generation called Enosh in Genesis 4, 22, 23. The Bible says in those days, they began to call on the name of the Lord. That is not an accurate representation. That call was because of their name. The name Enosh means mortal, frail, weak. So they were calling on God for miracles. He said, he said they were calling on God for miracles because men were mortal and frail. They needed intervention. So there was the Enos generation, which we find in our day. Uh, we are calling on God. There are so many prayers. But we are at Enosh. We need testimony. We need to be healed. I'm not saying it's bad, but listen to this. The focus is the testimony. The miracles. The marriages must work. But that's Enosh. But when Enoch came, there was no record he called on God. He walked with God. Two different things. So there are people who call on God and there are others who walk with God. Two different things. And why did he walk with God? He gave birth to a son called Methuselah. When he walked with God, the name Methuselah means when he dies, the flood will come. That means that as soon as he gave birth to the boy, even when Methuselah is sick, he's scared because he knows the Lord can show up at any time. That means from the day he gave birth to the indication that there's a coming judgment, 
he changed the way he walked. So the knowledge of his coming is perspective for order. You must change how you walk. But all I'm trying to bring your mind to was this. How did he achieve this walk? The Hebrew word for walk, sir, is intimate bridal walk. So it means Enoch and God were in bridal match. That's how they were walking every day. And Bible said he gave birth to other sons and daughters. So Enoch was not when the wife comes to him, it's a lie. No. He knew how to be intimate with his wife. He knew how to be domestically oriented. At the same time, he knew. Because when you walk with God well in intimacy, when you are even disregarding your wife, the Holy Ghost will say, go and spend time with her. You will hear it. As you are intimate with your wife and you are intimate with the Lord, sorry, the Holy Ghost will tell you that your child needs attention. Go and spend time with your child. It does not make you a deadbeat father. It makes you oriented with the patterns of heaven because you are walking with God in intimacy. That's the shocking thing. A man was walking with God 300 years and still was having time to begat sons and daughters. <laughs> The man who was to be raptured and enter heaven without dying, he knew how to have other children. <laughs> what am I bringing your mind to? In the last day, he'll send the spirit of Elias and he shall link the heart of the fathers to the sons. The reason why Malachi said what he said was because a generation, according to Genesis 15, is 100 years. Because the Bible says, I, the iniquity of the Amorites will come to the full in the fourth generation. And the Bible says they shall spend 400 years in captivity. So a generation is 100 years. And in every generation, they are fathers, they are sons, and they are children. They are fathers, they are sons, and they are children. The fathers raise sons, and the sons guide children. But they say a day is coming. The children who will be guided might not know the fathers that give disciplines to sons. So God must jump the junction of sons and reveal revelation to children. That's what Enoch enjoyed. So when he wanted to walk with God, he had a meeting with Adam. Adam, how did you live in the garden? And he said, this is how I did it before I fell. So Adam was instructing Enoch on the way to walk with God because that walk was the same walk in the garden the voice of the Lord was walking in the garden so he said this is how it happened these are the times he said I will show you an engineering there's something called the cool of the day not all hours are the same there's an hour that beckons you to get close to him there's an hour that tells you spend two hours with me there is danger coming tomorrow morning he says this is how to know the cool of the day in every moment That's why I say to you that if our generation is the finishing generation, you have no idea how this generation is. The Bible says in Psalm 22 verse 30, it said, the Lord shall find the seed and the seed shall be counted to the Lord for a generation. We don't, he said to the Lord, not for the Lord, to the Lord. Look, 20, uh, look how he said, he said, a seed shall serve him and it shall be counted to the Lord for a generation. Now how does this imply, sir? When you go to Matthew chapter 1, the Bible speaks of, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then it starts from verse 2 and verse 3. It said, Abraham begat Isaac, 
And when you come down further, he says that from Abraham to David is 14 generations. Then from Rehoboam, um, from Solomon to uh, what do you call it, Jeconias, is another 14. Then he says, from the time of the taking away of Babylon up to Christ is 14 generations. But when I did the math, sir, I realized it was not 14. From Salafiel to Christ was 13. But he said 14. Because let's go to the last verse before this verse. The verse preceding this one. Verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph and the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. So the 13th generation was Jesus. But the 14th generation was Christ. And Christ is the church. So what he was saying was, Psalm 22, verse 30. A seed shall save him, and it shall be counted to the Lord as the 14th generation. So it means that Jesus' generation is a fusion of the church and himself. That means even the generation of Christ is a bonded union of intimacy. Listen, <laughs> even your generation is described by marriage. Don't joke. It's a marriage. If there's, the first miracle Jesus did was at a wedding to show forth his glory. He came to marry. John was asked, are you not the one who baptized this man? He said, he that has the bride, sir, is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom only rejoices at the sound of the bridegroom. In other words, John was even saying, even I who announced, I'm Jesus' best man. That's a Hebrew word for best man, friend of the bridegroom. And in the Jewish culture, you escort your, the groom and the bride to the room. When they consummate their union, then that's it. You are, ex, you are excited that marriage has occurred. Then they came to Jesus one time. He says, why are your disciples not fasting like the Jews and the Pharisees? And, you, and, said, and giving John's disciples, he said, ah. When the bridegroom is around, shall the children of the bride chamber fast. So John is the friend of the bridegroom. The disciples are the children of the bride chamber. And that's actually groomsmen. So John is the best man. The disciples are the groomsmen. The church is the bride. So he came to marry. Ladies and gentlemen, I end with this. I end with this. All God has been longing for from eternity is a bride. And that's what God showed me today. He says, if my last generation will know the power of intimacy, it ends everything. I read Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He said in that day, not all that call upon me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And some shall say in that day, we casted out devils in your name. We healed the sick. We raised the dead. We prophesied. But he said, he shall say unto them, I did not know you. Therefore, get thee behind me. Ye workers of iniquity. That's what he said. Next verse, verse 23. He said, Get thee behind me, ye workers. We did wonderful, but 23 says, Ye workers. Ye workers of iniquity. Now, why was he saying these people casted out devils, did wonderful works, but Jesus said it was a work of iniquity? So I began to go on a search. Then Matthew 24, verse 12 says, In the last days, iniquity shall abound, because the love of many shall wax cold. So the work of iniquity is a work without intimacy. Because when your love goes cold, 
and you are still coming to church, you are still ushering pastor, it's a work of iniquity. Because he didn't die half-hearted. He died with all his heart in the death. He was loving you unto death. In pain, he didn't relinquish authority. He was in, you know how the human life is, as soon as you're in pain, the whole world must stop and come and solace and solicit with you. But Jesus in pain, the, the nails were in the median nerve, his hands are like a cripple and he's jammed, he's like, you know how you hit your, he's, he's just in that jamming nerve pain. And he can't even breathe well because they've positioned the cross for torture. His back is bruised. Bible said there's a dent in his back. But Bible, you know, he, the Hebrew says by his blows. So, and Jesus said, my back has been plowed. He was not beaten, he was plowed. So the, 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 the scourge, it hits your back and pulls flesh and shows sinews. Psalm 22 said, all my bones are naked before me. So his flesh was hanging, you could see cartilage. And he said, my joints are gone out of place. Because they tie your hand and pull it to the hole. So dislocation, dislocation, and there's a never pain. And he's holding his breath. Mother, behold your son. Even in death, he didn't abnegate responsibility. He knew Mary needed a mother, a son. And John, the youngest disciple, needed a mother. But as soon as you are in pain, you know if you feel like serving again. You know, Baba says something about what he went through. In 2021, I lost my brother, a military flight lieutenant, pilot. He died of cancer. And Baba, he died Friday. I had to preach on Sunday. Exactly next week is two years. I never. One day someone asked me, he said, your brother is having cancer. You're still preaching. I say, yes. God showed me I should share this testimony. That's what I'm sharing. I wouldn't have shared it. So you see us working like that. Never pains. Bones are out of place. That's why I said, consider him that endured the contradictions. The anointing is so contradictory. I might have a leg pain, but I'll say be healed and you'll also be fine. And I'm still in pain. I'm like, yeah. I have not married, but I'll counsel people who are married and their marriage will work. I'm believing for a child. I say receive twins and someone gets twins and I'm still waiting. It's the contradiction of the anointing. It's a generation that understands contradiction. Otherwise you will squeal at every instance of the cross. What is coming? requires the death of the flesh. It requires the death of flesh. Otherwise, you sabotage power. You see this thing that Christians are fighting each other. God will not give you power that will use to kill another brother. We can't create an autoimmune disease for the church. Cells killing cells. No. The anointing and the power is against the enemy. Not the church. There's a generation coming. And sir, I went on a study and it says, go and read songs. And songs one six says, oh, do not look upon me because I'm black. Because the sun has looked down upon me. He said, my mother's children are angry at me because I've kept other people's vineyards. Songs one verse six, but my own vineyard, I have not kept. And she starts a journey of the keeping of her own vineyard. Do you know when a vineyard is now kept? In Songs chapter 7, verse 11, she instigates the work. He said, Come, my beloved, let's go down to the fields, for they are ripe and ready for harvest. In verse 12, he said, Let's go 
Because Jesus said the field is ripe and the harvest is plenteous. Because when your intimacy is settled, there is nothing. According to Genesis 29 verse 20, and because Jacob loved Rahel, he served seven years and they were but few days. Iniquity abounds when your love wanes. So if anything is what you measure, go back to the drawing board of intimacy. Prayer is not bar boya. I do that, but it's not that. Boba is groaning because the flesh is restricting things. That's why we groan. Because the flesh is not allowing to release certain things. So we sigh. We sigh. There's a realm. Oh God, there's a realm. But most importantly, prayer is an invitation for love. They said, oh my dove. Songs 2.14 That dwells in the cleft of the rock. Oh, I long to see thy face. Oh, I long to see thy countenance. For calmly is thy face and sweet is thy voice. God is waiting because you see, the Samaritan woman thought she prevailed and went ahead of God. But God is always previous. God took the lead, waiting for her at the well. The disciples said, why is he talking to a girl? Because in Israel, proposals happened at a well. Rabbis don't talk to women in the day. So what is Jesus doing to his ministry? And Jesus said, I don't care what she's going through, but my meat is not 30,000 members. My meat is not 4,000 people. One girl in Samaria is the will of God at this time. And I will go through the longest distance. I will endure the greatest contradiction. I will sabotage my dignity because of that one Samarian girl. When you love God, His will is not a burden. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But He says, it can never be a proclamation until you learn of Him. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. You know why Moses said, I'm the meekest man? Now, meekness is not just gentleness. Meekness is patience under provocation. But meekness also means the acceptance of God's allotment for your life. So sometimes God said, don't jump. You can jump, but God said, you can't and will not stand there. And everything you want to jump, but God says, stand. That's meekness. You are controlling capacity. So that's why Jesus said, I could have healed at any time. But I was told, my time is not yet. So for 30 years, I learned. This is the revelation he had. So that he didn't heal everybody at the pool. He could heal one man and walk away easily. Today, if you have passion translation, put one last scripture for me so you can see how the scripture says. Today, you don't have passion. Somebody can read from their phone if it's possible. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It's a trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. But the Passion Translation puts it beautifully. He says, do everything in your life intimately with the Lord. That means that if I'm going to pray, he is standing by my side. I can surely never fail. Because I've got the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Holy, Holy Spirit. When I'm going to the hospital ward, 
And it seems as if I'm alone with a cancer proclamation. I can surely never fail. Because I've got the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy, Holy, Holy. I wish I could do the numbers thing, you know. He is standing by my side. I can surely never fail. Because I've got the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's expedient that I go. Because I'll send you someone. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not useful to you. There's someone coming who is better for you. He's the Holy Ghost. You know why? He is the eternal spirit. But the Greek says, he is the spirit, comma, the eternal. The Holy Ghost is the eternity. If you enter him, what time did to your body can be reversed in the spirit. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Walk circumspectly as wise and not as fools. Redeeming the times because the days are evil. Do not walk not knowing what the will of God is. And do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. But be being filled with the Holy Ghost. Speaking to yourselves with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart unto God. Submitting yourselves one to another. We do everything intimately with him. We sit in the car with the Lord. We go to the office with the Lord. We bring God to the village. We bring God to America. We bring God to Saudi Arabia. Because wherever we go, he is going with us. And we are aware. He is standing by my side. I can surely never fail. Because I've got the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. He is standing by my side. I can surely never fail. Because I've got the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. I sing this song because yesterday an elder spoke to me and said, God gives you songs. And as he spoke, I said, ah, that's where it came from. He said, if you sing it, it will change a lot of things. So I stand here in boldness to sing. Practice what you've been told. And it will take effect faster than you think. In 2020, I stood in a meeting. And as I was leading the prayer, I heard a sound. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Can surely never fail Cause I've got the Holy Spirit There's a lady here There's something growing in your womb It's not a child but the doctors have said there's something growing in your womb. The fire of God is working on you right now. It's diminishing it. Whatever fibroid, whatever cyst has been declared in your womb. The fire of God. Anshas, please just be sensitive. The fire of God is working right now. Right now. 
there are two people here God is calling you but you are afraid afraid too yeah too God is calling but you are afraid you are scared of encounters you are scared am I going to lose my mind am I going to be said I'm weird do I have to sacrifice everything I've laid it for should I throw my education away two of you and God's been speaking to you throughout this conversation. So you are the ones I'm talking about. He says, you are entering a day. A day of submission. In the day of his power, the people shall be free will offerings. He will come and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Isaiah saw the Lord and he submitted himself willingly. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Belhokas Meledira. Dora Pagis Avunji at the Agricospe Catanda while Lime Sumpredu scale Vulla is Braitalai come a fascinele Wechal Escolo or Tamba a manjingere Kanda Westcambo at Tembukilikiti Kambande Shanjindelo de Adir Kando Strafatai. The baton is released in the spirit. He said, just as I gave Sarah. But it is strength to receive that made what I had already released come upon her. Now somebody's receiving strength to receive the weight of his presence, the absolute commandment of direction, the willingness to sabotage plans consistently because he said it's time to move, it's time to remove the pets, it's time to set tent, it's time to move again. And as you are setting tent, as you are hitting the pet, the cloud appears again and you are like didn't you just pause and you are like it's just two hours ago he said it's time to undo what you did and all of that is an engineering to sabotage the fixation and the mold the flesh wants to create so that one day you have no mold again so that it is true of you the wind bloweth wherever I listed so are they that are led by the spirit of God we can't not see them, but we tell, we tell, we tell, we tell. And he is standing by your side in that marriage. You are gonna fail because you've got the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. And he is standing by your side by your mother's body by your father's body i know they've been calling you some time now oh i've got the holy spirit he's the holy holy it's been six months since you were out of a job but he is standing by your side how can you fail when you have the holy spirit Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.